0: On September 2, 1941, the world of motorsports lost one of its brightest young stars. Not yet 22 years old, this driver had won just about everything there was to win in the new world of stock car auto racing. But this wheelman was also pretty famous for being able to outrun the law with a trunk full of moonshine. The revenuers couldn't catch him on the winding, dusty back roads of Georgia, and on the racetrack, he was also pretty untouchable which is why his sudden death shocked the people who had seen him race. But unlike many of his generation and generations since who died on a racetrack or outrunning the law with a trunk full of liquor, this young driver lost his life over the measly sum of $5. Today on Stagger, we're gonna learn about the legend of Lloyd C.
1: Tommy changed the entire throttle system last night, the night before a race. Oh, he can't do that. But we want to thank you for these mighty
0: machines that you brought before. Welcome to Stagger, where we explore motorsports legends, heroes, and myths. I'm J.D. Smith, and he's Derek Smith. Before we get going today, we just want to thank you all for the tremendous response to our first of our new episodes, and we hope you continue to listen. If you get a chance this week, tell somebody you know about our podcast, Either via a tweet, you could send them a text message, whatever, however you like to do it. Just tell them about some of the stories we're talking about, and maybe they'll like it the way you do. All right, now on to the show. Derek, what do you think about when I say the early days of NASCAR?
2: Well, if you say earliest days of NASCAR, I think of the Streamline Hotel right there in the uh, strip on Daytona Beach, and then beach racing on Daytona Beach. That's, I mean, cool cars. Bill Very France cool cars. obviously comes to mind.
0: Bill France uh, Sr. is a good name. That's he's going to come up in our in our episode today. A couple guys who are at the streamline are going to come up in this episode today. Mm-hmm. Now, I I knew some of the same things you did when it came to like early days of NASCAR. The era we're going to be talking about is about ten years prior to that meeting in Daytona. It's going to be pre World War II, so it's 1938 is where we're going to kind of start. So, in that era, you have to think, Prohibition had ended in 1933, so we were kind of getting away from all that. The Great Depression was still a thing, but that was, you know, we're starting to kind of turn the corner a little bit. Haven't hit World War II yet, so this is the era we're talking about and we're talking about the South. we were talking specifically about a lot of farm communities. But now there's there's mills, there's factories, there's jobs that are a little different than what most of these people, for generations, had been doing in that part of the country.
2: And Amazon, so, all those places yeah. were starting to pop up, right? <laughs> yeah, they
0: had drones. They were shooting out like you know all kinds of various. Like toothpaste and stuff, you could get a drone, drop it to your house. We weren't quite there yet. So in this era of that's when stock car racing really started to kind of come into the fore. And I will tell you, like a a book that is I got a lot of information out of this book. I would recommend if you enjoy this episode or if you kind of want to learn more about this era, I would recommend a book by a guy named Daniel S. Pierce. He is a professor of history at the University of North Carolina, Asheville. The book is called Real NASCAR, White Lightning, Red Clay, and Big Bill France. That would be Bill France Sr. that you're talking about. But it was in reading this book and kind of doing some research on this this era that I came across the name. And I did not know this name. I don't know if you'd ever heard this name. Had you ever heard the name Lloyd C.?
2: No, I had not heard this name.
0: Okay. And, and Lloyd
2: Lloyd C. Like well, it's it's spelled S E A Y. Yeah. Was he was he a driver? Was he a? He was a driver. Uh, mechanic. Okay, so he's a driver. Well,
0: here's the thing. Back then, everybody was kind of everything. Because uh, that's well, true. He was born December fourteenth, nineteen nineteen. Born right after World War One. You know, kind of came up through the Roaring Twenties, and then boom, the Depression hits, mm-hmm. and that's in his formative years. And he's living in the South. There's a lot of change happening in the South at this time. Uh, Lloyd C.'s name, if people have ever heard it, one of the reasons that it is known is because uh, Bill France Sr. once said that Dale Earnhardt was the best driver he'd seen since Lloyd C. And he actually <laughs> said Lloyd C. was the best. That's what Bill wow. France, the guy who built NASCAR from nothing
2: Big Bill France.
0: Big Bill wow. France, not Bill France Jr., which is the guy who ran NASCAR kind of when you not and I were in France. Growing up, <laughs> not drunk Brian France <laughs> Ser- either.
2: <laughs> certainly not Brian. Well, <laughs> no, none we- of them. Allegedly. allegedly. Allegedly,
0: right. Allegedly, allegedly. 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 Yeah. And sprinkle allegedly <laughs> everywhere. Lloyd C. Is, is who Bill France Sr. said was the guy. Here's another one that comes up. Lloyd C. was a, a moonshine runner. There's an anecdote about him speeding through rural Georgia on his way to pick up some moonshine. And as the story goes, he got pulled over by a cop. Before he even gets up to the door, Lloyd C. just throws two $5 bills at him. And the cop says, hell, Lloyd, the, the fine ain't but $5. Why are you giving me two $5 bills? And he says, I know it, but I ain't going to have time to stop the next time. I'm paying in advance. <laughs> so, so this is the guy we're talking about. Now, he is from a little town. And again, I... First, can't believe we didn't know this stuff he is from a little town called dawsonville georgia ever heard of it what he's yes he's from awesome bill from dawsonville chase is from the same place like that that dawsonville okay that is where lloyd c is from Hmm. and buddy the georgia racing hall of fame is in dawsonville i'm i'm fixing to tell you by the end of this episode you are going to want to be on the next Flight, drive, whatever to Dawsonville to go to this. and <laughs> flights to Atlanta right now, man. Yeah, That's
2: awesome.
0: The, the uh, Dawsonville pool room, all that, but right across pool the street hall. from all the that pool, pool hall, hall yeah, yeah, where they have the sirene, But yeah. right, right in the same neighborhood, there they have the uh, the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame. So there's now, gonna be a lot of Georgia yeah. history in this one today. So he started running moonshine as early as 13 years old. So that would put it like 1932. 1933 is when they kind of think he started doing this very fast. Like he figured out very quickly how to do it and got really good at it. Apparently, and I find this to be so fascinating the way that Lloyd C. was known for driving when he's hauling moonshine, or just in general, was he had both of his hands, palms up at the bottom of the steering wheel, grabbing the steering wheel. So I don't know about you, I'm usually a 10 and 2. He was like right hand at 5 p.m. and left hand at 7 p.m. That's that's where he... I'm a
2: man. i I'm trying to I'm trying to do that. Like it's like it's like it's a, not a video here. It's but like it's a bus driver. Kind of yeah. like a bus driver. But even that, it's like a, it's like an old school truck driver with the handle, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah, and so weird, that's so weird. Like, I, yeah, because I'm a nine and three guy myself. And I you know, almost like a form of the one style where my thumbs are in there. And like if I'm flipping the blinker, you know, I got the. The hands You can are use always, it like yeah. the paddles. Um, yeah. The paddle shift. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm a nine <laughs> and three guy. But five and seven, man, that's that's some that's some vintage right there.
0: Well, and supposedly he was notorious for this move. Him and other moonshine drivers, trippers is what they called these guys. They were uh that was another <laughs> term for this. Yeah. But uh the guys who ran the moonshine, one thing that they were known to do is they drive past, you know, a cop chasing them, whatever. They'd get to a slightly wider part of the road and they would just do a complete one eighty. And go right back past the cop, just like something out of Dukes of Hazard, right? And yeah, but the, he apparently held the wheel down at the bottom like that because that made it easier to do the full maneuver and turn it all the way around somehow I, for him.
2: I that seems hmm. like that'd be incredibly tough, no matter how you hold it. When you think about it, like in the 1940s, those kind of cars, like. It's not like they're the tightest of turning rate eyes, you know? No, well, that's just
0: <laughs> it, right? They they were not. So you yeah. had to be a really good driver. Um, And obviously, you think about, like, the tires they were on. These were, like, think about now driving, you know, over 100 miles an hour. If Not that I recommend. Please do the legal thing. But if you've ever been in a car that's gone anywhere over, like, 80, 90 miles an hour. I mean, even in a modern car, it'll still feel a little rough unless you're in some kind of super sports car but that's with you know modern tire technology, roads shocks. that are yeah shocks and springs that are made for this. Yeah. The roads are graded you know with satellite imagery now they use to make these freeways and stuff. These guys are running speeds over one hundred and twenty miles an hour, doing this on dirt roads, curves, bends, all kinds of undulations in the road, blind apex, all this stuff, and they're Jeez. doing it at night <laughs> with lights that are again not
2: like LED lights. I mean I. It's a wonder the, more the, of these guys didn't die doing this. Well, they call it moonshine because you make it by the light of the moon. You also right. run it by the light of the moon, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it that's... wasn't something they were driving a lot during the day, <laughs> yeah. at least not for that. And one other thing was, of course, if you show up and all your you know product is all busted up, you can't really deliver it then because it's mm. no good. All these drivers had to be real smooth, so... Yeah. Just kind of getting in the mindset there. So we're talking, you know, mid-30s now. Lloyd C., he's, a, you know, like 16, 17 years old at this point, And he's developing a reputation for being a really good driver. So I looked it up because I wanted to figure it out. So he used to run the Moonshine from places around Dawsonville down to Atlanta. And I, it, again, I didn't know this. I think it's so cool. I don't know if this is just coincidence or what. What is Bill Elliott's number? His number he was most famous for throughout his career. Well, he's the nine. And what is Chase Elliott, of course, in honor of his dad? The nine? Right. Well. The yeah. route the route that runs from Dawsonville down to Atlanta that most of these moonshiners used was Route 9.
2: <laughs>
0: I don't know if that's why he picked that, but I think it's cool as hell that that's the, the route that they took to get from downtown Dawsonville to downtown Atlanta via Route 9. It's 59.2 miles. So. Hmm. And he's, in, you know, in two so you're hours, t- this is a good, well, not for, I mean, and, and again, he's running, they said at times, friends of his and stuff said they would easily get over a hundred miles an hour. Um, police officers, there's one anecdote in, in one of the passages I was reading where one of his friends was riding with him and he passed, they passed a police officer. The police officer didn't even pull out cause he said they knew who it was and they wasn't going to catch him anyway. <laughs> so he just <laughs> had developed this reputation of like, you're not going to catch Lloyd C. According to his contemporaries, Lloyd C. could not read or write. So a lot of people, from what I understand, this region of the country, a lot of people had farmed and had been poor farmers. They were not you know, wealthy farmers. They were poor farmers, but they made a living and it was, you know, you, you, you didn't have a boss. You just had your own life. A lot of people took pride in that, right? Even though it wasn't much, it was theirs. Well, then these mills come in, the factories come in, you know, the 20s and 30s, and that's when a lot of people said, oh... I don't have to do the farm thing anymore. We can sell that, move down to Atlanta, and I don't have to worry about where my next meal's coming from. So the ones that stayed behind were the ones who were a little bit more like independent streak. You know, I'm not going to give in to the man, and I'm not going to let that the big corporate entities tell me what to – you know, I'm going to live here where my family's always lived. And so then when fewer people are there, you don't have as many people buying whatever you're selling as far as a farmer – well, how else do you make money, right? And you've got all this grain, you've got all this crop, and you know the people who all left, they'll drink that stuff because now they got miserable jobs. Yeah. <laughs> so so now well, you you've gotta- created this market where it's like, man, we well, you know what I could use is some cheap liquor and stuff yep. that isn't gonna cost as much. Cause even after well, certainly in Prohibition you couldn't get it. Or- but after after Prohibition, it was still extremely expensive with all the taxes they put on it. White lightning, some moonshine. I'd rather have that than pay all the extra taxes. And so there was still a big market for this stuff even after prohibition ended. And again, you got a lot of independent, you know,
2: people who are living out in the hills saying, "I'm not. What are they going to take from me? I don't have much." It's weird that NASCAR owes so much of its existence. Oh, doing illegal activity,
0: buddy. You have no idea. <laughs> this, like, I thought we, I thought we knew that. And then I read through some of this stuff, and I'm like, holy! I mean, the whole sport is soaked in moonshine. There's no other way to there. Like the early days of NASCAR. There's no other way to put it. They have tried to distance themselves from this. Don't run from it. This is what you were. This is... And I know they have embraced it. So, I mean, the hell, they've got Junior Johnson still had, in, the, Junior Johnson in the Hall of Fame. They had Junior
2: Johnson drive down to Charlotte and put in his still. Yes. He assembled his still in yes. the Hall of Fame. I don't know if it's still on display, but when we went... Uh, years ago, we actually saw it, and that's he. They had to bring him in to put it together.
0: They're starting to be a little bit more forward on that, but Lloyd C. was not the only guy in this story who did this for a living. Now, let's get to 1938. Like we said earlier, we're at Armistice Day, 1938. Again, because there hasn't been World War II, they didn't have any of like DE Day or any <laughs> of that stuff. This, this is not what they had, right? So, Armistice Day was a big holiday in November. They had a uh, race set up for this in uh, Georgia. At the Lakewood Fairgrounds Speedway, which is was in Atlanta, it no longer exists. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr., if you're listening, lost speedways. Lakewood Fairgrounds Speedway. You should definitely do one on that. I was looking. I didn't see that you've done one on it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think
2: season two is. Uh, yeah, I'm is hoping. Underway. Maybe
0: maybe it'll be in season two. It's got to be because let me give you a little history on this place. Okay, now first of all, this race that I'm talking about in 1938, this would end up being the first organized official stock car race in georgia so this is kind of a historic event they'd never done one on this big a scale until this race in 1938 and stock car races at this time which were just starting to kind of get a little bit of steam they were starting to get going they were very different than the ones you would see like indianapolis okay those cars were called back then big cars but Lakewood Speedway, it opened in 1917, and like I said, they had it was a one-mile track. They had automobile races, they had motorcycle races. It was actually supposed to be a horse track, but apparently, like as soon as they built it, they were like, "Now let's put cars on it." Um,
2: <laughs> it was called it's a d- the different kind of horsepower.
0: Lakewood Fairground Speedway it was known as the Indianapolis of the South. It was a mile track. Uh, it had a 90-degree turn one, and then. Turn two is more like a regular oval track. And then turn three and four were a wider radius than turns one and two. So it had a little bit of Indy, a little bit of Darlington. Like it was just a weird and cool track. It was all dirt. And the infield was a lake. (laughs) That I don't mean like Lake Lloyd and what? I don't mean like part of it. I mean the track was <laughs> built around the banks of a lake. So so there was no like bit road on wow. the inside. There were some people inside, but it was yeah, they wild, man. Yeah, it is crazy. Uh
2: so over Imagine the years. Someday some guy goes to his fishing spot and all of a sudden they start building a track down. <laughs> he's like, All right, yeah. well, this isn't a good sign. Yeah, <laughs>
0: right, exactly. If you want to see this track, if you ever watch Smokey and the Bandit. You can see they shot a lot of the for the beginning and end of the movie, a lot of the background and stuff you see, there's actually a race going on at the end when, you know, they bring back the big truck, spoiler alert, full of Coors beer, but when they bring that truck onto a track that track is Lakewood, so that's that's where they wow. shot a lot of this. So if you ever want to get a like color version of what this track was, Frank Christian was the promoter who decided, let's do this. He worked with the Fairgrounds Commission. They put together this race, and so they promoted this, and they were like, hey, we're going to get this guy from, you know those races down in Daytona, the big races they do? Where that, that guy, Bill France, he's going to come up here. Because Bill France was a driver, and he was a pretty Mm -hmm. big draw back in the day. So they promoted a bunch of other big-name stock car drivers, said, you know, check these guys out. They're going to bring their cars just like what you have in your garage. They're going to bring that here. This was the race where Lloyd C. heard about it and was like, hey, we've got cars. Let's run in this race. So he convinced the guy who was giving him all the moonshine to run, his boss basically, he Mm. said, can I have a car for this race? And his boss said, yes, you can. His boss is a guy by the name of Raymond Parks. Raymond Parks is in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Raymond Parks is kind of credited for starting the modern idea of having a race team um, because it was Lloyd C. and his cousin, Roy Hall. Roy Hall and Lloyd C. were the two drivers that Raymond Parks allowed to run their moonshine cars, his cars, in this race. And so that was kind of the first time that one car owner had multiple drivers with multiple similarly prepared cars brought to a track. Uh, Roy Hall finished fifth. Lloyd C. finished First. He got off to a, a great start. And again, all these other big name guys, like I said, Bill France was there. So that kind of got them started. Now, Raymond Parks was a legitimate businessman. He had a service station called the Hemp Hill Service Station in Atlanta. And if you look at these cars from Roy Hall and Lloyd C. Hemp Hill service station is the sponsor. He also had a legal liquor liquor store down in Atlanta. And a novelty shop where he sold things like little games and things like that. He also sold illegal slot machines out of this business yeah. that wasn't known. More uh,
2: more history of NASCAR. Oh, is oh don't worry. So,
0: well, Raymond, so Parks, Raymond Parks had these legal businesses, but his main thing he made money off of was Moonshine. Because he was the guy who was doing all the Moonshine deals Lloyd C and Roy Hall were his two primary moonshine drivers, so that's how he knew they could drive cars. So he had a legal liquor store with mm. all that that goes on, and then meanwhile he's also doing. He's like, however you want your alcohol, legal, illegal, I got you covered. I'm the guy. That's funny.
2: Um, I just I, I just yeah. picture a Formula One setup here with two drivers and team orders, and oh yeah, <laughs> like I wonder if Raymond Parks maybe set maybe he set up the uh, the Formula One. Model two, without knowing it, so maybe there's yeah, right, there maybe do. yeah. Team orders of we like Lloyd uh, it P two P two need you to uh, let Sebastian go. Yeah. Well, you know what's
0: funny though is like we're joking about like all the buttons and switches they have in F one cars. You know they're like uh, please put it to uh, driver setting six and you know position three, please position three, and it's like they had buttons and switches in these cars because some of these cars were outfitted these these moonshine cars with you know various little compartments that would drop down a little door or something to hide the moonshine so and then crazy yeah they had all that stuff going on in these cars too so they they had a little bit of technology going on uh, high tech
2: redneck is i believe the phrase i've heard before
0: yeah um (laughs) there is a lot of illegal money that can find its way into souping up race cars and it's a good way to make a lot of illegal money disappear mysteriously that Lie. He's not going to uh, be the only one that ever figures that out.
2: So no, no There's a there's uh, a history of that in racing of all of all sorts, right?
0: Yeah. Now Raymond What's Parks, like I said, he's in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He was at that meeting at the Streamline Hotel in Daytona that you brought up. That is where they came up with the name NASCAR and the whole mm-hmm. operations and all that. Now this was that that did not happen until after World War II. So keep in mind at this time, right. none of that's going on. They're just they're figuring out what stock car racing is at the time we're talking about. Raymond Parks at one point had a driver whose name was Bill France. So Bill France actually drove for Ray Parks at a time. And when NASCAR first started up, Raymond Parks was one of the guys who was a car owner who had different drivers and things like that. When they were starting to lose money or they weren't sure if they could keep it afloat, Raymond Parks was one of the guys who loaned money to Bill France to keep it afloat. So where'd that money come from? It was surely from some of his legal Stocks ventures, and investments. I'm sure. Right, but he bought some of his legal <laughs> ventures with illegal money. So, right. you do the math on how that all worked
2: out. Oh, it's wild, man. It's if it, 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 in another time, right, in another time, this would be thirty for thirty, you know, and there'd be a defunct league that was funded by drug money or whatever. But just well, that's it, it was, right? Like it was the 40s. It was moonshine. It
0: was more acceptable. Raymond Parks, bootlegger. That's the team owner. Roy Hall was his cousin. They were both technically cousins of Raymond Parks, but I guess he was like a more distant cousin. Anyway, so mm. this is all kind of family. Oh, and by the way, Raymond Parks, Roy Hall, also from Dawsonville. All these guys are from Dawsonville. <laughs> I should go back to that. See they again. all have streets named after them in Dawsonville. If you go there now, right. they're all, all of them have streets named after them. Really cool history there. So these cars, right, obviously they were prepared by somebody because... Yep. Raymond Parks wasn't fixing the cars. The guy that he hired to build these cars and to put them together, and this guy already worked for him, he built the moonshine cars. And he said, well, can you build me a couple of race cars? The guy who did that was a guy by the name of Red Vote.
2: He's known as a master mechanic, yep. uh, someone who turned a lot of wrenches and turned a lot of moonshine cars into fast race cars. And uh, yes, that's that's kind of my my extent of his of his. Well, knowledge. let
0: me give you a little bit more. Red Vote. Uh, probably should also be in the NASCAR hall of fame. I don't think he is. I was trying to double check that. And like I said, there's a few other reds in there, but I don't think he's one of them. He was also at the streamline in Daytona. And according to all those stories, He's the one who actually said, "Why don't we call it NASCAR?" <laughs> National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. That was Red Vote.
2: I wonder where he sits in the NASCAR last supper picture. I don't know, right?
0: He was he was definitely it in is, it though. It is
2: our version of the of the last supper.
0: So Red Vote dropped out of school at 11 to work in a Cadillac dealership. Now again, <laughs> <laughs> like just a statement that only can happen, you know, in like only the in 1900s. The 40s, only no. in America. Well, this was like because he's a little older than some of these guys. So Redvo, this Tens. like this is probably like World War One mm. era. Like, yeah, I mean, wow. this is this is very young. So Cadillac is not like that's like a new. Fa- that's like I dropped out at 11 and I work for Tesla. You know, it's just like I don't even know yeah. if this is a thing. I don't know if this is gonna work,
2: but I work there it, and it. It probably would in our day. It would be like you're 18 years old, Yes. you went to community college, and you dropped out and decided, hey, I'm gonna work at a Tesla dealership. And most people would be like, okay, like- you know, But you my, learn, my you learn on it,
0: the job. You learn everything about the company yeah. very early on. You learn how these cars work. You learn all the ins and outs. And then someday down the road, when there's nine different types of Tesla-level electric car companies, now you've got a big handle on how that works. That's who Red Vote was. So when he went to Atlanta, He set up a garage and guess who needed their cars worked on in the time period of the 30s when he set up his garage. It would be a bunch (laughs) of guys who were constantly getting their cars beat up because they were driving them over dirt roads up and down all over the outskirts of Atlanta. The moonshiners came calling and said, hey, can you fix our cars? So Mm. he had a garage and I think this is also just wild to me. He had a garage that was open 24 seven. Like, downtown Atlanta, you come in at 3 a.m. on a Sunday, there's someone there who says, what do you need? And they go, my alternator's busted or whatever. And he's just, all right, someone was there
2: to fix it. They must have had a parts department, because have you ever tried to do a same-day, like, I'm hearing a noise. Let me stop by the dealership, or let me stop by this mechanic, and they they might be able to see you, but they can't fix it same-day. Well, day. but
0: yeah, that's that that's, crazy? that's
2: fair. But
0: here's the thing. So these these cars were obviously very customizable, they're easier right. to work on, I mean relatively speaking to today. Um, his garage became known for working on this little invention called the Ford Flathead V8. Now the Ford Flathead V8, that is one of the main reasons that engine why we have grassroots auto racing to this day because it was the first affordable V8 engine that reached the consumer market. Previous to this, you had to have like one of the super wealthy, ridiculous cars to get a v8 or you had like a straight four or a straight six engine the the v8 engine was a like great technology they actually had uh w16 engines which is two v8s together in some cars like that's they had all kinds of stuff like that even back in the 1900s like right after the invention of they invented the v8 in 1902 i want to say so it was around for a while, but it was yeah. only in the late 20s when it kind of became a thing because they started putting it in a bunch of different Fords. Ford bought. Lincoln Imagine. is who they bought, and that's where they started putting the Ford V8, yeah. the, the flathead V8 in all these cars, and it turned out they were easy to work on. So that's why this became like a tuner's paradise yeah. where you could just put tons of horsepower out of these things and really still not be able to break them.
2: But <laughs> these cars legitimately, <laughs> with minor modifications, could definitely run and, and be competitive. You'd qualify. In a cup race with a car you could buy off the showroom floor. Right. That's That's still wild to me.
0: These guys drove these cars to the races half the time. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's just insane. So Red Vote got two Ford Coupes ready for Lloyd C. and Roy Hall. They went to that Lakewood race in 1938. Um, Both finished in the top five. Lloyd C. won the damn thing in a 34 Ford Roadster. Oh, yes. And some reports from this time indicate... That Lloyd C. had a broken arm when he won this race. What? Yeah. He had a broken broken... arm. Now, again, I want to clarify. There's a lot of like mixing of stories and all that other stuff. But from as near I can tell, he won his first race that he'd ever driven in. And he did it with a broken arm. I am mean, again, I didn't see him race. Bill France raced against this guy. And Bill France, like I said, was in that race, not with a broken arm, as far as I know. <laughs> and he couldn't beat him. Young kid, who, by the way, Lloyd C. at this time is 18 years old. He's a moonshine runner. No one's ever heard of him. He's got a broken arm, and he wins the first race at this giant yep. racetrack that was called the Indianapolis of the South. Of course, it like just sprung off. So he, he gets a ton of publicity for this. People are all over, like, who is this guy? What's he doing? So that was the last race he ran in 1938. Like I said, it was in November. So they then decided, all right, we're going we're gonna to get our cars ready for Daytona coming up in 1939. Back then, the Daytona race was called the Daytona Beach and Road Race because obviously part of it was on the beach, part of it was on the A1A, on the road. Yep, on the um, old A1A. First time Lloyd C. had seen Daytona, and he took home third place in the 1939 race, Roy Hall actually won that race in 1939 and 1940. So now you've got Lloyd C. wins his race. Roy Hall's picked up a couple huge victories, you know, in Daytona over the couple Mm -hmm. years. And both these guys get famous for some pictures that are taken during this race. They were on two wheels going through the north turn of this track. Oh, my goodness. I'm seeing
2: it right now. Like picture,
0: if you picture, if you don't know what like a Ford, like a 34 Ford coupe looks like or these these type of cars, if you've ever heard of like a Legends car, picture a little Legends car, except this is a full-size version of that. It's got two doors on it and these guys are on two wheels on its side like it's it's physically I don't know how they did it and there were no ramps or anything this is just how they drove they were you can understand how if you saw a picture of this in your newspaper, and we'll we'll post a picture of this on our Instagram, at Stagger Podcast. When you see this picture, it's, well, no wonder these guys are legends. You know, you see a picture like that in your local newspaper, and you're like, damn, if they come anywhere close to here, I'm going to go watch these guys.
2: Thirty nine Bicycles his car through the north turn of the beach. And, <laughs> and this, this is window. not like
0: a, oh, he did it once, wow. and we're lucky we got a photo. This was going on every lap. There's no seatbelts. They joked that Roy Hall never heard of a break. Like, I mean, it was just everything about these guys was steeped in mysticism. Mm. But Lloyd C. was kind of viewed as the best driver. Roy Hall was a close second. By all accounts, they dominated 1939, 1940. Again, there was no NASCAR. So this is just, hey, there's a stock car race somewhere in the South, North Carolina, Georgia, Georgia some of these tracks would pop up they'd be gone the next year so there's again like i said not a ton of great records but it appears that these guys both won multiple races in 1939 and 1940 and they were becoming huge phenom so that takes us to the very fateful year of 1941 the most fateful time of lloyd c's tragic life august 24th 1941 now he is a big time name at this point in stock car racing he's also by the way still running moonshine all throughout this time. So he is avoiding getting caught. He gets caught a few times. He spends a few times in jail. He gets back out. He runs a race, you know, whatever. This is just kind of how their lives were at this point. August 24th, 1941 goes to Daytona started 15th in this race before the end of the first lap. He has made up all 15 spots and is leading by the time they come back around to take the, the, you know, the first official lap of the race. So he is in the lead to start the race. He leads all 50 laps of the big Daytona Beach race that following Saturday, August 31st. They go to High Point Speedway in North Carolina. Now, this track was built as the fastest one-mile dirt oval in the U.S. at the time, but about every track in the United States was called the fastest yeah. one-mile or half-mile or whatever mile <laughs> it was. They all
2: had that. Wow. So, anyway. Because I mean, who, who's going to really get out there and test them back in that day? <laughs> yeah, no one. He, it's just a claim, That's right? just what everybody said
0: lloyd c won the last one they ever had this one on august 31st of 1941 upon winning that race he immediately went to the labor day race at lakewood speedway in atlanta so he's in north carolina he's got to get down to atlanta and again he just raced this car and he's now won twice so he won august 24th august 31st labor day is of course the next day he shows up late because again he's driving all this stuff he's getting there he's working on his car they you know get it out on the track he can't even qualify so he had to start dead last he raced against bob flock you might yeah. remember from you know Fonny flock, flock tim Brothers. flock yes yeah. this is bob flock so he is another moonshiner and guy <laughs> who is definitely soaked in all this alcohol as far as you know where he cut his teeth racing These two are the big draws for this race. They're banging doors the entire time. He gets up there and fights him for second, does Lloyd C. Eventually on the final lap, Bob Flock hit the wall as they're battling, and he recovered and still saved it and finished second, but Lloyd C crosses the line, leads the last lap, wins the race. So now we've gone from August 24th to September 1st. He has won three of the biggest races, stock car races, in the U.S., this would be the equivalent now, even though not from a durability standpoint, but just from a prestige standpoint, like if you won Daytona and then like the Coke 600 and then you won Bristol, he made uh $450. The team did for that win, which back then was a pretty decent amount of money uh, at this time to give you kind of comparison. $2,000 was a like annual salary that was considered mm-hmm. pretty good. Um So he made $2, $4,000, $2,000. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he made 450 bucks, and he got to keep 150 of that. He's feeling pretty good. This is in Atlanta. Now, Dawsonville, like I said, is about 60 miles away. He didn't want to go back home. He felt he was a little too tired, so he stayed at his brother Jim's house. Gets up the next morning to a cousin of his shaking him awake, and he's yelling at Lloyd C. Hey, man, you charged $5 of sugar. A big bag of sugar cost $5 back then to my account at the store and I'm not paying that. You got to pay me. Now, of course, Woodrow Anderson's timing is impeccable here, right? Because he knows, hey, you just mm-hmm. won all these races. Yeah. You got to have some money on you. Give me my $5. I'd like to believe the $5 is more than what $5 is now, clearly.
2: but Let's a few, say it's 100 bucks. Right. It's like a few hundred so dollars at best in today's still money. still not something like... I mean, it was a million, a billion dollars. I wouldn't kill some of it, but
0: (laughs) it's definitely not the amount of money that I think you would even bother knocking on someone's door over, let alone, you know, I don't know if you're chasing them down. You know, the second they get done after winning a bunch of races, you're just showing up at the doorstep with your hand out. But that's what he's doing. Jim C. and Lloyd C. don't see eye to eye with Woodrow Anderson. So Woodrow says, well, why don't we go up to your dad's house and we'll figure this all out? And so Jim and Lloyd say, okay, that sounds good. So they all hop in the car together. They drive to this house on the way there. Woodrow Anderson says he needs to stop and get water for the car. And according to Jim C, that's when Woodrow Anderson gets out, pulls a revolver out of his overalls and shoots through the car window and hits Jim C in the neck and hits Lloyd C in the chest. And Lloyd C. dies instantly from getting shot through the heart by his cousin over a five dollar bag of sugar. Tragic. Yeah. How many times have you heard a story about a race car driver in this era or any era, you know, but especially the era where the safety was not exactly a thing? Yeah. It's not uncommon to read stories from this era where like three accidents happened. Two people died. A spectator died. a goat goat ran on the track and it died i mean there's all just kind of there's death all around this sport like just people dying right so it it sounds a little callous to say it but when you find out that lloyd c dies at 21 years old this up-and-coming stock car driver it's like well duh he probably probably wrecked that was not it at all he was shot Mm. by his cousin over a bag of sugar
2: an iphone is obviously hundreds and hundreds of dollars like, if someone a family member stole that, I just would not talk to them. That's a really
0: good comparison. If someone took an iPhone, I mean, you would be mad about it, but would you chase oh, them down I'm, I with a mad. gun?
2: I definitely <sighs> wouldn't talk to them, but I'm not gonna go grab a gun. I'm just shoot. saying, like,
0: this is yeah. You, would you chase them down? Bring a gun with you. Get them in a car. Scheme to kind of get them in this car and then kill them. Like. No. And not just him, he's trying to kill his brother too.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, no I mean, offense, I love you, brother, little... but that would really suck if you stole someone's bag of sugar or iPhone or whatever and then one of our cousins was like, hey, get in this car and then try to kill both of us, I'd be pretty pissed off. Like,
2: Oh yeah. I'd sure, be pissed right? at you,
0: I'd be pissed at him, I'd be like pissed at everyone <laughs> if yeah. I got it's... shot because of something I didn't do. So go figure, uh, they, they obviously, the police come, they arrest Woodrow Anderson, and he goes on trial for the murder of beloved stock car driver lloyd c this murder trial is expedited uh he goes on trial the very next month he claims self-defense and said that he was getting jumped by these two brothers and that's why he shot them kind of undercutting his story is the fact that the bullet holes go through the windshield so obviously if you're getting jumped but you have time to run away turn around and then shoot back through the car that Kind
2: of under so then hit said people like it's not like yeah, he hit it through the windshield and they were already out chasing him. Yes, at Yes, right. He that shot would constitute maybe some sort of like, oh my gosh, I'm self-defense, you know. Yeah, but not when you just preemptively strike it, it, was, it was it was it's sinister
0: what it is yeah it it clearly seemed premeditated and that's what the jury ended up believing now prosecutors were you know questioning him because i guess he took the stand at woodrow anderson a prosecutor decided because he had been stating this whole time you can believe my account woodrow anderson that i got jumped because i have a perfect memory the prosecutor recited the poem mary had a little lamb and then said now since you've got a perfect memory why don't you repeat it Woodrow Anderson, apparently, according to court records, said, I didn't see Mary had a little lamb. I seen what happened to Lloyd. That was his defense was like, I can't remember Uh, this, but I definitely remember. Wow. The jury did not uh, agree with Woodrow Anderson and he was sentenced (laughs) to life in prison. Now, in between all that, there was a funeral procession for Lloyd C. They actually had a funeral procession that was led by his famous silver bullet, 1939 Ford, Raymond Mm -hmm. Parks, the car owner drove that car wow. through town, his cousin. He actually also paid for a headstone that is made of marble that is still in the uh, cemetery, I believe, in Dawsonville that you can go see. Wow. Yeah. So it's That's there. Wild. It has it has a car on it. It actually has this picture in the car. Somehow they, like, encased it in the granite. It seemed like this one touched a lot of people, and, and when Lloyd C. passed away, it was a big deal. To that point, they had a memorial race on November 2nd, 1941. So... To kind of bring this back full circle, we started off talking about a race in November 11th of 1938. We're now at November wow. 2nd of 1941, so that's three years. Jeez, that's That went from never drove a race car, or at least never drove in a race, to now they're having a memorial race for him uh, okay. at Lakewood Speedway. And I find this little anecdote very interesting. This was in Daniel Pierce's book, uh, Real NASCAR. Apparently, there was a driver entered in this race named Ralph Shirley. Actually, he was billed as Ralph Bad Eye Shirley is what they called him. And the guy shows up with a patch over his eye. (laughs) Apparently, that guy was Roy Hall in disguise because he was currently (laughs) on the run from authorities for the moonshine and everything else. So he couldn't enter the race under his name. But according to Daniel Pierce in his book, he found evidence that Roy Hall entered that race for his fallen comrade. (laughs) Like, I just picture him with, like, a little beret and, like, a little mustache. and like, oh. Bad eye, surely. (laughs) (laughs) A.k.a. Roy Hall. So I guess my takeaways from this are I really want to go to the Dawsonville pool room. I really want to go to the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame. And I do want to buy, you can buy Bill Elliott themed moonshine, but I want to buy like, I want to find someone who's selling the, the maybe not legal stuff. I want to sit on Lloyd C. I don't know if it's Boulevard. I don't know if it's Roadway. Whatever. I want to sit there, close my eyes. I want to hear someone go by in a V8 and I want to take a sip of moonshine and think about all these guys who kind of built this sport (laughs) that we love. Wouldn't that be just like having to do that? I need a bully Uh, burger or something from, uh, I
2: think it's, I think it would be a must if you're going to the Atlanta race and go out on a Thursday and see all that before the weekend activities.
0: Coming up, we'll kind of do just that. We're going to talk to a lifelong Dawsonville resident, a man who was actually alive when Lloyd C was alive, a man who knows more about the history of racing in Dawsonville than probably any human on the planet i'm talking about the man who helped found the georgia racing hall of fame and the guy who sounds the siren whenever chase elliott wins a nascar race from the dawsonville pool room the owner of the pool room gordon perkle will join us next right here on stagger Whenever someone with ties to the Dawsonville, Georgia area wins a NASCAR race, a siren goes off from the Dawsonville pool room. And a crowd usually gathers too. Gordon Burkle, the guy who owns the pool room? He doesn't mind. In fact, he's the one setting the siren off lots of times. Just don't call it a siren. In Dawsonville, Georgia, it's a siren.
1: Every well, Sunday after the race, that big crowd shows up. This is Chase Wynn here. The siren. Do you still turn
0: that on yourself, or how does that work when when he wins?
1: I still do it the old timey way because I used to have an electric sirene up over the front door of the pool room, but now I got I bought one of these sirens off for of Georgia State Patrol. It's swell, folks. Well, I tried putting one of them, it converts from 210 to 12 volts, and it always gave me trouble. So we're going back to the old time where we a cables run out the back door. Uh, if there's a car, just any vehicle raise the hood and hook the jumper cables to the 12 volt, and it goes off.
0: So you run the uh, siren off the like a car battery?
1: Yes, off the car battery.
0: As you'll hear throughout this interview, I occasionally have to ask Gordon Perkle to clarify what he's saying. Sometimes that's because I was having trouble understanding him due to the phone connection, and sometimes it's just because I found some of these stories to be really incredible. Either way, his no-nonsense responses always made me chuckle. If you want to know where you stand with a person like Gordon Perkle, just ask him. He'll tell you.
1: The one I had before, I thought it was loud the first time I set it off. Is I seen standing over it and uh, told him plug it up. i said I thought that's the loudest thing I ever heard me right up over it. But this, don't this old state patrol car, it's really loud.
0: Yeah. What, what would you tell someone who's never been to Dawsonville? What what kind of town is it?
1: <laughs> it, it it's no other town like it. It's so in in a line with the racing. And the moonshine, you know, Dawsonville has always been known as a moonshine camp to the world. There's eight little streets downtown that goes across the range, and we got them named after the eight drivers from Dawsonville to win uh, Daytona.
0: That's right. Dawsonville, Georgia has eight streets named after stock car drivers. Dawsonville absolutely loves their racing. The Georgia Racing Hall of Fame is a big tribute to that history. Gordon Perkle also helped get that built. So obviously when we're looking for an expert on a Dawsonville legend who drove stock cars on these back roads down to Atlanta, Gordon's the guy to talk to. But before we could talk about Lloyd C., Gordon wanted to make sure we also highlighted another Georgia legend who we've talked about in this podcast, Raymond Parks.
1: The big secret, this is the hometown of Raymond Parks. He was a big liquor guy in Atlanta. He, He was raised up just outside, right out from the courthouse of Dawsonville, but then, when he, I think he went to Atlanta when he was eight, maybe sixteen. But I always heard he, by the time he was eighteen, he was already a millionaire. But he had these, uh, always great drivers up here back in that day. It was hauling whiskey for him from Dawsonville to Atlanta, and that's where it all got started.
0: So you said the the rumor about Raymond Parks was that by the time he was eighteen, he was a millionaire.
1: Yes. He started hauling liquor when he was 14. They <laughs> said, Well, you didn't have a driver's license. I think, What the hell? Are you going to jail anyway. <laughs> you get caught with a load of liquor.
0: What did people in Dawsonville think about the guys running moonshine? Were these guys seen as like, Oh, these are criminals and they're bad guys?
1: You asked somebody from Dawsonville who was raised up when I was, Did you ever haul any moonshine? I say, uh, If they say no, they either a preacher summon or they lying, it was just a way of life back then. all all the merchants in town you know made good money off of selling sugar and surprisees to the moonshiners, and they was pretty well protected. One story I like to tell uh, uh, Charlie Crawford was here for sixteen years or before up here, and he's seen it friend, but even he was running a car for that. He shoots a tar down on the revenue guard. It turns over and landed down there. It used to be uh, an old hotel. And said so the revenue's come priming out and looked up there and hollered at Charlie. He said, You shot the wrong car. He said, Who in the hell said I did? You know, I've been warning y'all about endangering the sense of my payment running them damn liquor cars through here. The guy was in the liquor car. Was his
0: son, so he had a good reason to shoot him down. <laughs> so, so the sheriff of the town shot at the revenue. Federal you said. yeah, yeah. And he shot their tires out because they were chasing his son, who was running moonshine. Yes, all
1: in Dawsonville got that
0: happened. So we've established that Dawsonville, Georgia, loved their moonshiners, and of those moonshiners, one of the fastest ever was Lloyd C.
1: Yeah, he was a hell of a driver. I mean he 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 was known so much of, I call it five it, putting that car on two wheels. But he's always at Lakewood. When he'd come out of that number three turn, he he put it on them two wheels and keep it on it till he got down in front of the grandstand and then go down on four wheels.
0: So he would do that at Lakewood too. I knew he had there's pictures of him doing yeah. that at Daytona, but he did that at Lakewood as well. Yes, yes. It's incredible talking to someone like Gordon Perkle, a kind of legend keeper for a small town that has a rich history in motorsports. So obviously I had to ask him about one of the biggest legends surrounding the story of Lloyd C. When Lloyd C. passed away, there was a memorial race. Right, Yeah. Yeah. There was a rumor about Roy Hall... He was on the run from the law at that time, but he showed up using the alias of Ralph Eye Shirley, and he was wearing an eye patch. Do you, do you recall that story,
1: or do you know anything about that? Yes, I do. They, they recognized him, the, the, the law enforcement did, and they was going to arrested him. I mean, they was fixing taking take him to jail. But the it, the crowd found out about it, and they started chanting, we won't a hall, we won't a hall. So they let him finish the race before they get him to the jail. Well, when he took the chicken frag, he didn't wait. He just shot out the gate and headed to Dawsonville.
0: Roy Hall and Lloyd C. kind of sound like uh, the original Dukes of Hazard.
1: Yeah. And see, they was cousins, Roy and Lloyd C. and uh, Raymond Pars they was all three cousins.
0: It was at this point in the interview I decided to ask Gordon if he knew anything about Woodrow Anderson the man who shot and killed Lloyd C. over a bag of sugar.
1: They was partners in the liquor business, but Lloyd C. had come one race the race. He lived just over in uh, Lumpkin County. They had a aunt that was a school teacher down in Dawsonville. Said, we go down and get aunt money to figure it out for us. Well, they saw it down there in the car and hot, just like that Dawson County mine. They pulled in Woodrow lived right there on the county land. They pulled in the car in this house to put water in the car, and while they were doing that, the argument broke out again. He ran into the house he used that to kept a pistol in that woodrow did under his pillow. he ran in the house and got the pistol going back out and, and shot Lord C shot his brother through the neck I mean they kept him hospital he lived. Uh,
0: but they didn't take Lloyd to the hospital, I assume.
1: No, he, he, he killed
0: him. And Woodrow Anderson claimed in court, as I read, that he was doing it in self defense, but that obviously was not believed by the court, and he went to jail for a long time after that, right?
1: Yeah, he he be the last sentence. For him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what... Woodrow, he worked for me uh, back in.
0: uh, I'd heard that Gordon Perkle had some involvement in running a numbers game, but I didn't know if we would get into that or not in this interview. Not only did we go there, he told me he met the guy who killed Lloyd C. Woodrow Anderson, he claims, worked for him after he apparently got out of jail from murdering Lloyd C. I tried to confirm this independently, but I couldn't find any news stories one way or the other that gave updates on what happened to Woodrow Anderson after he was sentenced to prison. So you're just gonna to have to take Gordon Perkle's word for it.
1: Yes, I knew he well, and there's $2 worth for me in the number business. I knew of him ever good, of him when I seen him, but he came, um, he was cousin of Russ Sanderson, one of my partners in the number business.
0: So he at some point got out of prison and then got back in because of this? Is that yeah. how that went? Okay. So did he ever talk to you about that moment? Did he ever say
1: anything to you about yeah, that? Yeah, 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 son. But I mean it they, they hadn't that they didn't already know,
0: Did he ever express regret? No. Nope. What do you uh what do you think would happen to Lloyd C. if um he and Woodrow Anderson hadn't had that moment?
1: Yeah, the record looks would all be changed if he lived.
0: Why do you think we haven't heard more about not just Lloyd C., but some of these other Dawsonville legends.
1: I, NASCAR fans are always a little bit, you know. They're they not, they not too proud of the Moonshine part of getting NASCAR started. So I think they played a part on that. There
0: There's no doubt that NASCAR probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a guy like Raymond Parks.
1: And they know doubt. I, I don't really think he'd be here today. I mean, maybe, but it wouldn't be here as as it is today.
0: If you're ever in Dawsonville, Georgia, you have to stop by the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame. In fact, it's probably worth a special trip. When you go, if you see Gordon Perkle there, say hi, and then swing over to the Dawsonville pool room, get yourself a bully burger, and enjoy your stay in a tiny little town that means so much to the history of NASCAR. Hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a new one. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and a rating. It helps other people find the show. If you can't do that, just make sure you hit the subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss the next episode. Until next week, thanks for listening to Stagger.